everyone. Welcome to the CSGO Hour podcast. This is today we have on Mike and Mist and featuring a new guest today. We have Yanko. Thank you for stopping by. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Today we're talking ECS after Charles wins another tournament, unfortunately, for NA fans. Liquid <laughs> taking second place. What do you expect? And we have a lot more coming up today on the podcast. So let's start it off. How do you feel about Astralis winning ECS, Yanko? I think it was uh, quite expected, all things considering, right? I mean, you were thinking, ah, oh, phase, all of this coming back and everything. So uh, they're going to be a real contender, but then all of his, he's going back into his leave of absence, Fnatic playing with... Uh, they, actually, they couldn't play with Exist, right? So like, it's been a lot of teams that... Uh, have had stand-ins, G2 with a weird uh, formation and all of that. So I, I think like with with everything that you had there, it's been a bit less than what you would have hoped for. Actually, Fnatic did play with Exist, my bad. So in the end, you have like a team like NRG, you know, making the, the semifinals straight away. So I think for Astralis, anything less than a win would have been actually quite disappointing right yes team liquid is a very good team but i still don't think they're at a place where they could legitimately challenge astralis astralis simply had more time to get to where they are at and the fact that liquid is within striking range and like putting up a good fight i think is the most they can they could have hoped for uh, at that tournament still yeah i think astralis are just like on another level at the moment compared to everyone. Like you see in the semifinals against FaZe where on paper Carrigan does this smart veto where he picks Train, which is supposed to be Astralis' weakest map, but then they just go and win it anyways because apparently they can play all seven maps still, which is just really impressive. Well, there's like, it's a good example right now between a good comparison between FaZe and Astralis. Like in Astralis, you have a team that's a very well-oiled, machine right when you look at team play and all the stuff like that their utility usage nade usage everything and that just adds to the confidence of the individual players right because they don't they they know at 90 percent 80 percent of the time they know what they're doing it's things that they've practiced right their decisions their moves are not random and in in those scenarios you know what to expect and it adds confidence when you go into fights right with with that sort of a setup and obviously you can see how that's almost you know it has an in, incremental sort of value where it, where it adds on top of each other while on phase on the other hand the whole uh, all of situation first playing with exist now having to play with you know chrome and this tournament they thought they were going to play brazil with horvy those are all things that the players need to handle something that's going to obviously influence their game but not just their game also their motivation and confidence coming into tournaments because phase obviously is a team built to win championships and sure you can argue that even without toloff and with a stand in i mean we saw them in sydney it exists, right? But it just has an effect on you where you know you're not nearly at your uh, 100% and a lot of things you have to do them on the fly, right? And you can see how it's a contrast to what Astralis has and, and that's why maybe the players, I'm sure they're confident in their own ability uh, most of the time and, you know, especially against some of the other teams, but I think in the back of 
their heads. They know that, you know, for example, in that game versus Astralis, at this tournament, they are they are the actual underdog and, and it's going to take some miraculous effort and some massive individual uh, performance for them to really uh, be able to take them down. Yeah, and it's not like you can even say with the individual play at the moment that FaZe has a massive edge there because all of the Astralis stars are just like playing super well at the moment with magic and device and so on. So like... I don't think you could say that, oh, FaZe has this edge that they can go and take advantage of unless that Guardian and Nico are just firing on all cylinders in one specific map. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you can argue that they are potentially better individuals than what Astralis has, and, and that's like, uh, it, it would be pretty close, even in that argument, but it's just a matter of... Uh, coming from the styles, right? Sure, Guardian might be a better, more explosive opera than Device, but you can't just be like, Guardian, like, you just run out and then kill this guy and then make it a 5v4, right? Especially as such, as against a, such a regimented squad as Astralis is. They know who they play against, they know what the strengths of their opponents are, and they know how to play in a way where they're going to try and minimize your strengths. And exploit your weaknesses and that's where you know teams like FaZe and any other opponent would need to have um, something else to fall back on need to make adjustments on of their own and that's way more difficult to do uh, when you're playing with a standing and, and, and when you're dealing with all these issues yeah for sure I think the the side, the side of the map you see it the most on with Astralis, where they're just super dominant, is in this tournament. We saw it with this Inferno CT side, which just seems like completely unstoppable, where you have Magisk playing over in the pit, where he's probably the best player in the world, arguably, in that position at the moment. And then you've got, like, Device and Glaive rotating between B and the Archway, where... I mean, you just see device get picks left and right, and then Glaive is able to hold his own in whichever one of the two positions he gets to play as well. Yeah, they're obviously doing a, a very good job individually at the moment, and everyone's you know motivated. Everyone's really putting in the necessary work, and that's why you know the atmosphere, everything. We always talk about it uh, on desks and so forth about confidence and how it, i mean even the players themselves talk talk about it even more than us you know confidence is so important and it adds to everything and the atmosphere right now in astralis is is so good because they realize that the level they're playing at is so much better than anyone else and that gives them the confidence to play at a very high level no matter the map because they feel like okay train you know, maybe someone thinks it's a it's a weaker map for us, but they have the fundamentals nailed down so well that it's always going to be difficult to play against them, no matter what, because they are going to have those basics nailed down. They're going to be very good in five v four situations, even in in four v five situations. They will know what moves they need to make to to get the round back in their favor, or at least try their best. And, and that's why for their opponents, you're never going to have you know, easy rounds to, to beat Astralis. It's, you have to be at your 100% throughout the game. You can't miss any steps because you see how good they are at full gun rounds. They're, they're by far the best team when it comes to full gun rounds. And when they lose maps, it's usually when they don't have a strong economy 
for the good part of the game, whether it is losing both pistols or getting reset or losing to some force buys, eco, something along those lines. That's where you can beat them. And even then it's, you know, 16, 12s, 16, 14s, overtimes, whatnot. It's, it's almost never uh, a blowout. You mentioned confidence. Uh, I, I feel like we had Thoron last week, and you mentioned talking about they don't really have a big on Liquid. You don't have a big player with like a big personality. Like Naf is like the new like star player or a star player, and he hasn't really have a very vibrant personality. He's very laid back. And so, do you think anyone on Liquid will step up to be more of a motivating factor in the team? Someone with a big personality that's really going to be a star player, or? Yeah, that's the issue I have with mouse ports as well. But when it comes to Team Liquid, I think Taco is definitely that guy coming from SK, winning two majors, right? And and Zeus as well. Yes, he's the coach, not the player, but he also has that sort of a mentality. And I think they can translate it well enough to some of the other players. I don't think Naf is ever going to be the guy who's going to, you know, rally the troops and give motivational speeches during timeouts or before the game, right? But he doesn't have to be. He can do his own thing. You know, Nitro seems like a quiet guy as well, um, Elige to an extent, but maybe if you can influence someone like Twists a little bit, who has been playing uh, pretty well lately for Team Liquid, that is all you need. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be more than one guy. One or two guys is all you need in a team. The problem you have is when you don't have anyone who is like that and, and you're trying to build uh, a championship winning team. I mean, one thing I've been thinking about with Team Liquid is, well, it's more of a question is like, should we criticize someone like Nitro who's supposed to be the in-game leader and the leader of the team pretty much where he maybe doesn't quite inspire this confidence in his teammates where they can get over that semi-final hump or that like second place hump or they always get stopped at the end, you know? Yeah, um, it's hard to tell without, you know, being on the team. You never know how uh, things work within the team, what the communication is like, what atmosphere does the team prefer? You know, you have teams who thrive off of being loud and, and being hype and everything, and you have other teams who prefer being calm, cool and collected and, you know, having like a, a normal tone and everything like that. I think Liquid is, at the moment, the team that's closest to Astralis in terms of the style and, and the way they play. And that's why I, I rated them really high, even in, in Dallas, coming into that tournament. Uh, because for me, it's always about how what is it something that I think can bring them success or consistency long term? Or is it something that you know, they they are going to have that one tournament where they're going to be really good because everyone's playing well individually and, and things sometimes just click. For example, G2, or maybe even NIP could be a good example with their uh, Oakland wins and, and, and stuff like that. But for Liquid, you can see the system they're trying to put in place. So on their CT sides, especially on their T sides as well, they do different things, right? And for me, those those are always good signs. I just think for them, it's a matter of having a bit more time to add new things, add a bit of variety, and especially expand their map pool. And then it's about seeing whether they individually can square off against some of these other teams. Obviously, there's the hopping situation, right? I don't think... I think Nitro is a guy who can at best be a secondary opper in a team and, like, pick it up on the CT sides. And that seems what they tend to do, is only pick it up on, on CT sides when... Uh, 
you know, it's situational when they feel like it it suits uh, their setup or, or something along those lines. But even then, we've seen him, you know, maybe miss some crucial shots and everything, which for me, it's not something you can necessarily, I mean, criticize him for. He's not an opera by nature. Obviously, if you put enough time into it, you're going to get better at it. But for Liquid, it, it has to be something where they realize, okay, this is a weakness that we have and we need to make up for it in other ways, but we can't just use Nitro and, and expect things for him and ask things from him that we would ask from you know, a, a general primary opera. Oh, you make a good point there. I feel like uh, Nitro as an opera, he's like you say, he's all right. Uh, I know when they first announced JDM was stepping down or they were kicking JDM, they were like, yeah, we have a Leech as a hybrid opera, Twist as a hybrid, NAF as a hybrid. But out of all those, really only NAF was a true actual hybrid opera. So I don't really understand like the whole thing behind it, but then it's worked. But do you think the lack of a dedicated opera really hurts them on maps like, say, a Dust 2 or other maps that are like op heavy against a team like Astralis where you have device? Yeah, in theory it should, but their Dust 2 is pretty strong at the moment. But then again, that also stems from not a lot of teams playing it or putting a lot of uh, practice in it um, and so forth. So time will have to tell on that one. I think it's a problem because you look at who, who are your opponents for the best team in the world. You have obviously Astralis. They have Device, who is an amazing opera, who at times doesn't even get enough credit for what he does, but probably the best opera when it comes to movement and, and being up, unpredictable in, in what he does. Then you have guys like Guardian, who are obviously in, in, insane when it comes to just raw skill and, and what they can do with their aggression, with opening kills and repeaking. You have guys like Simple, who is, I mean, he is the primary opera of the team, but also uh, sometimes plays with the rifle very often, right? How is Nitro supposed to not necessarily square off against these guys in terms of going head-to-head in duels, but in terms of efficiency in what he does as an opera? He, in my opinion, cannot do nearly as much as any of these three guys can you know then you have the whole g2 situation with can yes and, and and so forth so then you wonder i mean even you look at someone like energy cirque is a better opera than nitro is right so i i think in that sense on some of the maps where uh, it's up heavy like dust too like obviously train overpass right that's where potentially it can be a, a big problem. I, I think every map is op-heavy. Even maps with close quarters, oppers ha- can have a lot of impact. For me, on Inferno, on City side, a single opper being moved around constantly is a nightmare for the T side, mostly in terms of calling, because if, if you can't know for sure where he's going to be, you need to use a lot more utility uh, early on, you know, if you don't know if he's going to go apps, you need to throw that molly into boost. You need to commit one or two guys spamming the, uh, apartments. You need to commit the early utility into banana, flash on to mid, even smoke mid. And that's already half or, you know, three-fifths of your utility gone in the first 20, 30 seconds of the round just so you don't give that opening kill. So... I think it can. I think it will prove potentially to be a problem. And another thing that that you guys mentioned was Naf. Uh, that was my surprise. Why he isn't that um, sec? I mean, primary opera in Liquid because at times he was 
pretty proficient, whether it was in his time in Optic, if I remember correctly, with Mixwell uh, at times when he was doing a really good job. But it might be the case that he's been playing so well with the rifle in Renegades and, and since he joined Liquid that you just don't want to change his role. All right, so you mentioned some surprises. So, talking about surprises, energy making the semis, I'll be like two best ones. I found Cirque and Even played really good in those games, but then like against the semifinal against Liquid, they they barely showed up. So, like, what do you think about this whole NRG team, like over the last two recent tournaments and their decent placings? I think it's very important for people to understand. Look at NRG's lineup. So you have Daps and Fugly, who've been around for a while. You know, it's like, I don't know, four or five years now that they've been in the tier one of the NA scene, at least, and on and off being, you know, teams like Team Liquid uh, and, and, and so forth. So I, I think in that sense, they're the only guys who have some experience at competing at these big events and knowing how things work, what you need to do. And even so, Das was always being the guy who would get the teams to a really good level and there would he, then he would get replaced. And Fagli has been on energy for a while, but... He hasn't been a standout player or anything like that for a very long time. So obviously the stars of that team are uh, Serg, Breezy, and Ethan, who are three extremely young players. I mean, Ethan has the most experience out of the three, and that comes from his time on CLG, which was great, I think, for a young player like him, but it was nothing compared to where they are now and, and you know the competition they are up against recently. So I think in that sense, people need to understand these players individually more than anything else need to get used to the skill gap and the different way Counter-Strike is being played in, on that level. For example, when I saw them for the first time on a big LAN in Sydney, I could see some really good things like good game plans, some, some good anti-strats, um, good team play at times, obviously some good individual play from guys like Breezy, Cirque. I mean, Daps was having a great tournament there uh, as well, but I could also see some... It's not rookie mistakes, it's just mistakes like, you know, you're um, attacking a bomb site, for example, Leon Overpass, and there's an opera there, and he gets one kill, you, you don't know where he is, and then he gets that kill, and you know where he is, and instead of the second guy just shoulder peeking him or someone pop flashing before you keep on pushing or throwing a molly, you know, the second guy just keeps on running into the bob side because the call is, we're going A, right? And he, he dies as well. And then the trade happens. But that one extra kill is all it takes for them to not be able to get the round because it's bought enough time or just you've lost too many people to be able to hold against the retake, right? The, the spacing in some of the executes, is, is not as good, which in turn leads to worse trading, right? So th those are very small things, but very important. And at times, you know, some teams actually, when they come to that point, they can't get over it because players individually don't realize how they need to play, right? And, and so forth. But, and, and that was my fear for NRG. But then after Dallas and when we saw them recently, they, they did look very much improved despite the best of ones i mean you still need to beat your opponents i personally dislike best of ones in in now they uh, counter strike but i feel like you can't take anything away from them in that sense so it's good that they did get over that uh, hump i also think i'm a pet is going to be able to help them a good amount i don't think he's uh, a real coach in that sense i look at him as more of an analyst right he helps the team a lot more in terms of 
scouting the opponent and and doing the anti-shredding and maybe helping them helping them work on some stuff of their own and perhaps reminding Daps of some of the strategies when they're in the game rather than being the guy like maybe, you know, Zeus or Kassad who's going to call a timeout and say, hey, we need to do this now. And then if that works, next gun round, I want you to do this, right? So energy, I, I think uh, they're at a good... They, they, they are having the trajectory that for me is reasonable for them. I, I think something past uh, those semifinals, you know, them beating Team Liquid, uh, I think it would be too much because they did manage to do it in Star Series, right? Domestic matchup and, and everything. But I think Liquid after that kind of realized what Energy was doing to, to beat them and, and they just decided to treat them as... Uh, any other team and not maybe look at it uh, in a sense of we play it against them so much we need to watch out for a lot of anti-strats and so forth yeah for sure like the points you made about like the rookie mistakes you could say for like the young guys i think daps deserves a lot of credit for that for like like kind of telling them like what to do and like what not to do to get them to land nerves off and stuff like that oh yeah definitely i i think it's also you know guys like fugly he had a good tournament uh, at the star series right so it's also about figuring out obviously you don't want to have daps being the best player on your team like like it was in sydney you need you need to find a way to uh empower your star players right and then put them in positions where, where they're going to be the most comfortable i think that's the case i think as i said it's just that their stars are really young players and you know playing on a stage having those noise cancelling headsets using in-ears if you haven't done it before just all kinds of things that's something you need to go through those motions a couple of times and then that's why people call them you know onliners obviously you're going to be more comfortable playing from a setup that you're playing in every day than you are in an arena or in a big game and you know the crowd and everything uh, you need to deal with so i think they're getting used to it and i think they're the individuals you know uh, cirque Ethan and, and Breezy are going to get more comfortable, more confident, and uh, hopefully are going to be able to replicate that level that we've seen from them online. Yeah, I think one thing you have to say for energy as well is that a lot of the teams that are just outside the top five, the ones that in theory should be beating a team like energy right now, are having a lot of trouble, which I think that NRG is taking advantage of right now. Like Fnatic have just made a roster change. G2 is obviously a bit of a mess. NIP made a roster change. Cloud9 are making a roster change. Everything so, is a mess right now. Except for Astralis. Team Liquid and Navi, uh, to an extent, everything is a mess. Uh, I mean, for Mouse Sports as well, to an extent, uh, I don't know where you guys want to take this next, but they have a problem with playing too many tournaments, right? I mean, they are uh, a really good team, obviously. Like, we were talking about them as potentially the, the new best team in the world when it was around Katowice, Star Series, right? They were doing everything right. Best team uh, in the world on Mirage at that point. And you see how they were playing tournament after tournament after tournament, you know, traveling from Europe to Australia, to Europe, to North America, to Europe again, and from one tournament to the other, jet lag travel, you only have, you know, a few days to practice. That's not nearly enough for you to change things. So this is the thing, what people don't understand. 
teams obviously have strong maps, weak maps, right? For mouse sports, let's talk, use them as an example. Mirage, Nuke, two best maps, then Train, and then Inferno is somewhere after that. So obviously you have some of your weak maps, Overpass, Cash, people will target one of the two most likely against you. Inferno, people played a lot against them. So you want to obviously improve your bad map so people can't exploit it as much against you, but you also want to keep your good maps on a high level. And with the amount of travel and, and the official games that they've had, it's almost impossible to do that properly because the players are going to get burnt out. You cannot go to tournaments all the time and like be hype, motivated, focused, and then also have a high focus in the two days you have at home before you need to travel again, right? In my opinion, for them, it would have been even better just not to practice and have two days to just, you know, reset, like have something, get ready to travel again and play a tournament. And obviously that's a problem when you come into a tournament and someone's had that break and they've been studying you and the things you've been doing, uh, eventually they, they can't work the same way. Yeah, I think it was definitely a mistake for Mass Sports in particular to attend this tournament when the main opera and main star of the team can't even go. So I don't really understand. I've, it's probably the org or whatever forcing them to go. I don't know how that works, but like, I don't think they will get anything out of attending this event. Yeah, I mean, Star Series and Brazil. Pick one. Don't attend two. It's it's 200k or 250k for both. Something along those lines, right? And that's if you win the tournament, you get the, the big prize money. I would probably pick Brazil simply because it's a weaker tournament and there's the Grand Slam. But then again, as you said, you can't go with your primary opera, so maybe just play Star Series with your full lineup. And then after that, you're not playing uh, ECS. Yeah, that would be the better call. Play Star Series because you didn't qualify for ECS. You skip Brazil. That gives you a full month off. You can give 10 days to everyone. Just go have a mini vacation. Do whatever you want. You know, play a little bit of Counter-Strike just so you don't forget how to play the game. And then you have three more weeks left of just pure practice before ESL1 Cologne. And for that, you can be completely fresh. I imagine they're going to get invited to E-League towards the end. Uh, of July as well. So those are the two big tournaments you want to be super prepared for, right? So I really don't understand. And that's another reason why Astralis is above the rest. They've skipped Star Series. They've skipped Brazil. They focus on ECS. And what was the result? Easy win for Astralis. And, you know, it's it's getting pretty scary for teams because it's now, again, a mentality thing. We were, you know, SK, what was so good about them was they could always come back. They, you know, you could never count them out. They, they could be down, but never out. And, and then when they start coming back against you, it creeps into the back of your head, right? Like, oh, it's, they're doing it again. Like, you know, they, they're winning impossible clutches. They're like winning impossible force buys. You know, call zero is clutching. One with threes again. Fallen is getting entry kills, right? And it's the same with Astralis. People are thinking, Astralis had, you know, three or four weeks off coming into this tournament, God knows what new strategies they're going to come up with. You know, we have no idea what they're going to do. They're just going to wreck us all over again. So I think that's very important. People need to realize when it comes to these tier one, tier one teams, there's a lot of mind games going on and, 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 you know, mental warfare. Remember Sydney last year with the cobblestone vetoes between 
FaZe and Astralis, right? Where, where Astralis won in the group stage, but then FaZe did it in the playoffs when it actually mattered more and things like that. So all these details mean a lot when Astralis plays FaZe or, or, you know, when it comes to the top five, six teams in the world. Obviously, if you have, you know, Renegades are the 12th ranked team in the world right now. If they play FaZe, I don't think any of that is going to matter, right? FaZe should beat them no matter what. Same for Navi, same for Astralis, Mouseports, and so forth. But when it comes to that top four or five playing each other, these things, uh, in my opinion, do do tend to sway things either way. I agree with that. Like, so you mentioned that you would say Astral, say SK, for example, that they, when somebody plays them, you know, they come back, you're kind of scared about that. So you have like almost a fear going into it. Like, oh yeah, this is a team you should be scared of. But then of course they had a lot of losing recently and it's just like, oh, SK, what happened to them? Now recently we have Moshe XL where it was the Brazil, uh, Portuguese, Portuguese tournament and you have SK winning against, I believe it was Hellraisers. And so do you, and they also won the event in Adrenaline Cyber League in Russia, I think it was, or Ukraine. Uh, and so do you think SK are finally starting to get some of that momentum back where they can start to become a scary team again, where you actually fear playing them? Or do you think those days are over? I think that's why, you know, besides not being able to bootcamp the whole SK situation, I think SK likes attending those smaller tournaments because it gives them practice in a competitive environment, one. And two, for them, it does boost their confidence a little bit to lift that trophy. Also, I don't know if you guys saw it, but the atmosphere in that Portuguese tournament was ridiculous like football chants and stuff obviously sk not a portuguese team but a portuguese speaking team brazilians i'm sure they have a lot of fans in portugal and that was just i i bet like very enjoyable for them to to participate in that sort of an environment but i think in star series they did show some of that old sk if you remember for me i mean this is gonna sound a bit harsh but for me there were only there was one good series that tournament, and besides that, one really good map of a series, and that was SK Liquid being the series, and the first map of the SK Navi game, um, the the Inferno game, were like ridiculously good games. To be all, also, I'm probably spoiled with the amount of you know Tier One Counter Strike I watch and everything, and you know that's like for me that's the pinnacle of games where even I am like on the edge of my seat and watching and just enjoying and you know we're all jumping in the green room and getting hyped about the game but that liquid series sk all three maps they were down whether it was 2716 you know 05 something along those lines and and uh, they would come back to win two out of the three and the third one was real close and you could see throughout the game those situations happening where even when Stewie was when they were still making it happen, those 2v3 retakes or even 2v2s, whatever. And that gave you confidence. Okay, it seems like, you know, winning that small tournament before Kiev was, and, and having that extra time to practice, they, they did manage to click on some things. But then they had the series against Navi, where obviously there was the, the insane first game. And then when it came to Mirage, actually, where they did win some ridiculous. Uh, clutches i think uh in in the first half in the second half when they switched on the t side they just had a bunch of weird force buys like a lot of their rounds the, the their buy rounds or i mean just all the rounds looked like they didn't have a clear idea of what they wanted to do they just seemed very lost and it was fairly like 
easy for Navi to beat them at that point. Navi didn't do didn't have to do anything special on their CT side. They were just doing their own stuff and and winning rounds with relative ease. And then that made me think. I have to remember that was the last series of the day, and it was going on until like two or three a.m. So I don't know if that had an effect on them um, to some extent. But that wasn't the SK I know that that's going to break down like that. You could just tell that that things weren't right, and potentially that stems from the whole. Uh, in-game leading situation, right? That's a mess in itself. Who's leading on, on which map? And I was talking earlier about you need to find a way to win consistently. You're definitely not going to win consistently if you have three different in-game leaders on, on the six maps you play. So uh, for SK, you know, you saw some real good stuff from them at that tournament. Then you saw some questionable stuff from them. I, I think the Portuguese tournament... I think SK wins it no matter what with the opposition that was there. But even today in Brazil, we saw the game against Space Soldiers and they lose 2-0. It was a close game. Yes, Space Soldiers play well, but you know they had that strong first half on cash, couldn't convert that into a, into a map win. So uh, I think I'm not really sure what it is in a sense of sometimes they look really good, sometimes they don't look so good. But after Brazil and you know Cologne, because between Brazil and Cologne, there's going to be a good amount of time to practice. We should get a clear picture by then if this project with Stewie can actually work, because if it's not working by Cologne, by the time that tournament's over, okay, you even may give them E-League if they get invited. You know, what's the next step? Something needs to change, and I, I think it's obviously that the roster needs changing, because uh, before, things were working pretty well in the roles that you already had. Yeah, I think one particular positive sign for SK is that at least on certain maps where he doesn't in-game lead, Coursero seems to be back. Like he had a dip in form around like maybe March, April, but now he's like back in top form. You even see it today where he has like 23 kills when his teammates has like five or seven or whatever. And then in that Navi game that you mentioned as well, he was just right up there with simple where they both had over 40 kills which was just completely insane but the problem for them is that they still need some of the other players to step it up as well like fur played pretty well at that portuguese tournament but then you see him today or in some games at star series where he just isn't really there uh yeah i i think uh one of the problems is that whole thing Cold is playing better on maps where he doesn't team game lead, is that I would say yes, but you, because that's the last information we have, but things can change so fast, right? Like at this time, Bolts might be in game leading for all we know until someone gives an interview and says, oh yeah, Fallen is leading on all the maps again or, or something like that. So it might be a case of that, you know, whether it's in game leading or something else. I, I do think it's clear and, you know, some of the dips in performance stem from. I was talking about this when the change initially happened, right? You swap Stewie for Taco. There are two very different players in terms of their roles. And, uh, you know, Stewie is more similar to Fur or, or actually more similar to Phelps, right? And you re remember the situation where Phelps initially joined. There was like roles were all over the place. Then similar to now, Fallen had a dip in performance. So in in that sense, it feels like you do need to fill a need and not just get the best player available or, I mean, even not available, just buy him out, right? Because 
Stewie, sure, he's a young kid, he's hungry, he wants to win championships, and he will do whatever it takes uh, to win and take whatever role, but he may not be as good in that role as he is in his own, right, which is more similar to first. So for them, it's you can see how Stewie is not doing as much stuff as he was in Cloud9. They're trying to give him more freedom to make the most use of him, but that would mean Ferg has to do less on some maps. And it's very difficult to find a balance in that sense between the two. And what SK and what time will tell us now is whether they can find that balance between Stewie and Ferb when it comes to aggression on the T side more than anything else and a little bit on the CT side. And if they can't do that, um, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think Stewie can be a full support player like Taco was, or I don't think you can put bolts in that role and then that puts you in bolts as right. I just think it's not something where you can make a switch of roles within the roster. I think it would have to be a roster change that would shake things up for them if they can't figure it out in the, in the near future. Yeah, that's something they might need to look at. But just to transition into probably the other only notable thing that happened at this Portuguese tournament is uh, that Tempo Storm attended their first LAN. And for those that don't know, Tempo Storm is the team with HS, Fox, LOL, guys like that. Basically, the rejects of various teams. And there was this interview that came out after the fact where Fox said he was now going to take over the in-game leading role from HS and he basically completely threw HS under the bus because they played this Portuguese team Giants and they lost to them in a surprising fashion and one of the reasons why they lost is because they decided to play Train on the last map instead of Inferno and the story behind that is apparently HS had heard that Giants were good on Inferno. So he just decided to ban Inferno to not have any surprises and instead go with Train, which Temple Storm has never gotten more than 10 rounds on in one map. So I don't quite know what went on there or why Fox threw HS completely under the bus in an interview afterwards, but uh, that's what happened. Yeah, well, I don't know. It might be one of those things where he was just like giving them an excuse for such a loss because you know the Giants team has some Portuguese players obviously that Fox played with and against and he wants to excuse the loss to an extent. I don't know but it's also like there's so many things that I don't understand is why is he vetoing the maps alone? Like why is that even a thing that's happening without at least one extra player there um, to do it with him and then I guess that's the main problem because I understand the inexperience from HS. You know, he's still a young player, definitely new to the in-game leader role, and then he probably isn't aware of how things work or what his teammates were comfortable with. But it just shows you that even in these teams, you know, you have some ridiculous situations that can uh, happen at times. I remember it was one of the seasons of Pro League where it was one of the decider games for who makes the, the playoffs. and. Navi didn't veto in time and they had to play cash as the map that's going to determine whether they qualify for the playoffs and I actually think they ended up losing it and they ended up missing the playoffs because of it and also shocks one time not vetoing Mirage because he was he forgot it was even in the pool 
um, also for Pro League because of how many times they just remove the map, right? So you do have some funny examples uh, like that, but yeah, you know, those teams like Temple Storm, they're, they're so weird to me in a sense that that team obviously has a ceiling and the, the, the ceiling also in itself isn't going to be very high. So you, you're wondering what's the goal of that team is it just to pick up maybe you know more young stars and try to lock them in to a contract and and have uh in that sense a, a team that can be competitive because right now you wonder is somehow miraculously you know fox or innocent or lowell going to become they're going to become players like the mouse sports team, right? Or something on, on that level, we're going to be able to compete with the best. I think it's uh, it's interesting to see how that poor, like things happen in terms of say rookie mistakes. But if you don't want to make a rookie mistake, you want to join pregame hubs. So pregame.gg is the direct pathway to the North American face it pro league for anyone in North America. You can queue up with people equivalent to your skill, has competitive prize pool in all divisions, and you gain face at ELO by winning matches. And face it, not pregame, just recently announced they'll be partnering with Fragadelphia for the upcoming qualifier. And for that online event, Max is up to 32 people. And for the top three teams, we have prize pool and entry to the event in terms of covering travel. You can use our code, the CSGO hour, for 20% off. And if you want to get percent up for pregame, do that today. So besides the besides selling out here, uh, we want to talk about the new update for CS:GO. And you mentioned Mirage, and so we saw Mirage get some big changes recently, and we also saw MP7 price get reduced, M4A1S get a slight buff, and the CZ get a slight nerf. So no more CZ go. Unfortunately, we can't see that new update at Belo Horizonte, but we should be seeing it at DreamHack Summer. So Yanko, how do you feel about the new CS:GO update and how it's going to impact the game? I think it's a real good uh, update. Obviously, not like a super massive one, but for what they did, uh, I think it's pretty good. The CZ nerf, you know, yeah, yeah, it's only two damage, but it's important that it doesn't one-shot you at uh, close range, even with a helmet on. And, and I think for updates like that, I personally, for me, like reducing the base damage by two doesn't mean anything for me. But once you play a couple of games, you get a feel for it. Once you watch uh, a couple of more games you get a better feel for how is it going how is it actually impacting the game i'm actually playing a ton of cs now that i have some time off so i even got to play a, the new mirage a couple of times and those are the changes that i very much like they what they did in you know in the simplest explanation is they just made the map a lot cleaner removed some clutter uh, removed some needless collisions especially that those poles in in middle, uh, you know, as as an opera, that was just a nightmare. Some tiny little pole reducing your damage was ridiculous, and it took them three years to change it. But we're finally there. The MP7 thing, I like the skybox change as well because it allows you to do some cool stuff. You know, the skybox, for example, from CT spawn to B doesn't exist. I mean, none of them exist anymore. So you can like flash before you enter kitchen towards B. Um, you can help your teammates there, similar to what a flash from when you're coming towards B on cash and you throw a flash over heaven can do for you. So it may prove to be interesting in that sense. Obviously, the T side strategies with smokes and so on. 
the MP7, I think, is also a pretty cool change. The problem with the MP7 is uh, the armor penetration, as far as I know, it's not great. So it might not be super useful against fully armored opponents, but for anti-echoes or even when you expect your opponents to maybe have um, to have no head armor, I think it can be really good. 1700 was too expensive for it, but 1500, I think we're going to see people start using it a bit more. Um, the M4A1, I'm not that sure about it. Obviously, this helps with being able to spam more, right? To to spam through smokes, but other than other than that, the damage isn't changed. You know, the amount of bullets in the clip obviously isn't changed, and uh, I think that's the advantage that the M4A4 has at the moment still maybe some of the players that there's very few of them who have been using the m4a1s might convert an extra teammate to start doing it as well i i i think actually that there's this you know talk at times of using different m4s at different maps depending on your positions and i think that's actually a something that's a pretty good point i think in some situations the 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 silenced M4 is much better than the unsilenced one. But if you're playing B sites, if you're playing sites where you might have uh, people, multiple people pushing onto you, that's probably where you want to use the A4. So maybe now we'll see some players try to switch it between maps or something along those lines. I'm sure the placebo effect of any change is going to cause uh, an extra, an, uh, you know, more people using it, but. I don't think it's going to be super, super important. The thing, the notable thing about for me, the skybox is that we see like Astralis has like almost a month off before Cologne, and you're like you already know that they're already on Mirage right now, trying to practice more smokes. Because I saw on Reddit you can smoke from B site bench all the way into Palace now, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, that's you, you know that allows for so many cool setups. Uh, one of the reasons why Astralis is so good on Inferno on City side is because they do exactly that. I mean, they can't you can't throw smokes because of the skybox, but what you can do is you know they rotate an extra player and then they have an extra smoke on B but an extra player on A. So you either need to go through utility or you need to walk into you know, a setup or, or, or something along those lines. So it's definitely a scenario in which it can really help you and we could see some cool things. It's also interesting that they did it, considering that they reverted that same change on a map like Inferno exactly because of exploits like that in a sense of you can just stack nades towards uh, Banana and create uh, a static area of the map. But I guess A Apartments, for example, or, or anything on the A side of um, Mirage, isn't as important as is the entrance to Banana on uh, Inferno, so probably not going to have the same effect. I just wanted to quickly touch on the C set change because, well, I'll definitely take any change to the C set because it was definitely ridiculous. Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't think this was the right change because I feel like the C set. The whole problem with it is that. Any scrub who plays the game can use it and get a ton of kills with it. Like we have the Deagle in the game, which is still super powerful, but we don't see any complaints about the Deagle because that is absolutely sick when someone can get the Deagle Ace. But when you have the C set, 
is uh, even me who sucks at the game i can use the c set pretty well and it's still gonna be a bit ridiculous in that manner yeah it's useful in hands of uh, casuals it's uh, the deadly in the hands of pros but for me the problem with the cz is i just don't think it should be in the game the, the pistol like that as a concept right because that pistol i think it's impossible to balance it it's either going to be too strong or it's going to be probably unusable right because the the, the power of it comes from being able to run and gun and you know, being a, uh, an automatic pistol, close range, it can just wreck you sometimes before you can even react when you have a rifle. But if you, you lower the damage uh, too much or, or something along those lines, then there's no point in using it over something like a P250 maybe or, you know, anything like that. The, the strength of the gun comes from being able to you know, run and gun with it. And if you take away either of those two, then you have much better alternatives. I guess nerfing the damage is probably the best way to go about it because that way, even when if you're running and gunning, if you need three bullets instead of two to kill someone, that might give the guy with the rifle enough time to kill you if he can hit his spray, right? And if you miss your spray, I mean, then you deserve to die, whether it's to a CZ or... To any other gun so the the problem is that sometimes the cz has an advantage over a rifle in situations where it shouldn't i understand that close quarters right in with a cz yeah it might be better than a rifle and if you have a rifle you should try to avoid playing that angle if you know they can have pistols and, and play more long-range passive angles but the problem is even sometimes when you do that you still get wrecked by cz and, and that's something that in my mind sh shouldn't really be allowed to happen i definitely agree with that i feel like the cz or cz however you want to call it uh i feel like it definitely can't be in the game because either you have too few bullets or you have like in quote unquote too many because you need like two or three kills in one clip if you like a headshot so and if you nerf the damage of it and there's no point of it, then it's just going back to the Tech-9. And it's just, it's really annoying, unfortunately. But I feel like it's definitely been used a lot. And so I guess people get annoyed of it because you see a lot of these anti-ecos are really boring anymore because a lot of times we'll have one side with actual guns, others with CZs and armor, and then CZs usually win. And so someone's pointless buying against them because like a lot of the times you're going to lose. Even if you're a good team, plays against them very well, they're just so powerful, and it's just become really boring to watch sometimes. But one team I think that's not boring to watch, or might not be, would be Luminosity. Now they've added Henny and Lucas. I thought Showtime's time on Luminosity was not very successful, and I think it was smart to replace them with Henny and Lucas, but do we think that they're going to be a good team in Brazil, considering NTC I didn't have a great showing at Belo Horizonte, and SK are kind of vulnerable? I don't know, it seems like a mess at the moment because first thing, you have Hanny and Lucas playing again with Steel after the whole Immortals conundrum, you know, back after the the Major in, in Krakow. So how is that going to go? I mean, Steel does seem like a guy who's, you know, super passive and he's one of those quiet guys. He's just going to play the game and, you know, he's not going to hold any grudges even if he has all the right to. So maybe in that sense, it's going to be okay. Maybe Henny and Lucas, you know, they've been nowhere for nine months or ever since they, they fell uh, out with 
Luminos with um, Immortals, really. You know, the NTC project obviously didn't work because you could because of the fact that they agreed to join um, Luminosity. So maybe that humbled them a little bit and made them realize, okay, what we had is actually not that easy to find again uh, after you lose it. So maybe we need to be a bit more serious about this game and uh, put a bit more extra work and, and mature a bit more. And if that is the case, then that team can be pretty interesting, right? You have someone experience like Steel, who was the in-game leader before, can be the in-game leader of the team again. Have Nekis, who had some good showings, one of the newer stars, so to speak. Yell, who's been around for a long while, and, and Henny Lucas, obviously, with their talent. So I think they can definitely be better than NTC, and I say that not necessarily because of talent, but because you would expect them to be a bit more serious uh, about it all considering what we've known from the past. And they also have Zach, who has been with Immortals before, uh, for forever, and uh, probably will be a good influence on the team. Yeah, uh, offense consider if they put, like, heading the differences aside with Steel and, like, Zach, I guess I'm hoping this team can be good, because you have two pretty prolific and good ops in Henny and Yell, so like, they could have a really good double up set up on that regard, but I guess time will tell for them, as always. <laughs> the Brazilian scene just has a... Look, NTC, Luminos, and SK are all teams that, like, I think can all be really good, but, like, I don't know which one's going to be the best right now. Which makes it even more questionable. Why did SK decide to bring Stewie? With, you know, you have, you have three Brazilian teams, and then on top of that, you have some guys on some of the lower-tier teams. I can't even remember the team's names. There was that TRK guy. Was it... Red Reserve or, you know, the the cello that's now in NTC had that real good tournament at Pro League Finals uh, in Udense. So you wonder, like, what is it? Is it, like, them not really believing in these guys, that they're good, that they are good enough? Is it, you know, the teams just set too high buyouts because they know that SK slash Immortals will have enough money to pay them, making some ridiculous demands, you know? So that's why I question, I can understand if you have no talent in your region or, you know, by far, and, and, and then you go outside of it. But yeah, it just seemed like a weird move at the time. On the buyout point, I know Team 1 was the one that owned uh, Bit and I think Cello and Track, TRK, however you want to say his name. And... Uh, they had like a $100,000 buyout, I think, for Bid or one of the players. And so I guess a lot of those teams in Brazil tend to have big buyouts, like you said, because they know SK or Immortals have good money. So I feel like that's probably an issue. Plus, I guess if you're paying that much money, you want like a uh, player with more experience, good, you know, someone like Stewie, who was a good player, just won a major. So I guess they figured, well, we'll just go for the phase round and just stack all our players. Of course, hasn't worked as well, but, you know, that's, that's the issue when you don't have a real support player. Yeah, obviously. I mean, if TRK and Stewie are going to cost the same, you probably want to get Stewie, you know, even with the language barrier, because he is such a great player. Yeah, for sure. And so we talk about barriers and language barriers, but another a lot of these teams are going to international projects. We see Valiant, some of their international project, and they just assign Kassad as their new coach. Yanko, how do you feel about Kassad joining Valiant? Yeah, well, international, they're really domestic. We're all... We're all the same here in the Balkans, you know, Macedonians, Bosnians, Serbians. We all get along. And 
I just watched their game. They were playing the the open qualifier for the minor. I was like casually casting it with with in Serbian with some friends, um, and you could tell like still some of the problems that have plagued them for a very long time. Maybe not having a a super strong game plan, having some questionable calls in some important rounds, some clutch situations not being played properly, and. Because I actually made that comment. I said, uh, that was yesterday, I said they would benefit so much from having a coach like Kassad on their team because Kassad is really good at exactly those things, like in-game things, like helping you sort out a game plan. How do you play against certain setups, against different setups that the opponents may be running? How do you play the long Kong in a half, right? Because... The way truly great teams play, like Astralis, they want to set you up for the future in a half, right? So let's let's give an example here for that. Um, let's take a map like Train, where the, the standard setup is, you know, at the beginning of the round, there's just one guy B, there's four guys A, and let's say they want to do something like they want to go for a fast explosive play towards B, maybe just throw some smokes outside, send one guy into all of right the left side of uh, blue train out of mid, like try just to create some noise and then explode onto the guy on B. The reaction being you want to force that second guy to come sooner and to spend more time on the B bomb site to support the B anchor. And that way you're setting them up for the future in the half to go for, you know, whether it's a slow A split or, or a B fake or something that's going to force that extra rotation. And that's how you want to play. You want to set things up. You want to bait your opponents into reactions. And in that way, you're one step ahead of them because you're anticipating that reaction and you already have the next strategy, the next call set in place to counter exactly that. And and that's something that Kassad can do. That's something that he can create the clutch situation thing and how to play 3v3s in after plans. It's a bit more difficult because it stems from game sense and, and the players individually. But I think in some of the you know macro aspects of the game, like those game plans and all of that, I, I think he can be super, super valuable for them and i'm glad that they could come to terms because obviously i want the guys to succeed some of them are my ex-teammates and just know how it is with anyone who's from your own country or region you're cheering for them and i know kasad had some you know pretty good offers for international teams so i'm glad they could come to terms um for him to be the coach until the end of the year i think is what they've agreed on and i think that's more than enough time for him to do his work and for him and the team as well to see how far can they actually go. Yeah, the thing I kind of thought when Kassad joined his team is like, I remember when he left Renegades, we kind of speculated, oh, is he going to join FaZe or maybe Cloud9 or a big team like that? And then he ends up at Valiance. So I was kind of wondering if he, if it's just that domestic connection where he just wants to live at home or if he didn't want to be on a big team. Yeah, I'm sure. No, he definitely wanted to be on a big team. And I think he would have taken that offer uh, if it came from someone like Cloud9, for example. But they already have a coach, so I'm not sure how much they're looking into that. But I, I think it's also a bit of personal reasons in a sense of he's been living in NA for a, ye- a year, over a year now. You know, it's quite different compared to life here. And maybe you get a little bit 
homesick, not even necessarily wanting to move back to Serbia, maybe just in Europe, right, to be in the same time zone, things like that. So I think it was a little bit of everything, really, that uh, influenced his decision. I definitely agree with that. I feel like, uh, I think it's pretty interesting to see Valiance be such a, as somebody lands. I know we're at the V4 Future Festival, I think. And so, and there are another one as well where FaZe was, I think, because I know Hunter is Nico's cousin. Yeah, they were at uh, DreamHack Masters. DreamHack, okay. uh, Marseille. Okay. And so it's pretty interesting to see a team like that kind of rise to power in an era where you have a lot of teams it kind of struggle online i guess with the downfall of a lot of the former tier one tier two teams it's good to see other teams from the european regions that don't get a lot of love really rise up so i think that was really cool for them and so we see a lot of land opportunities recently and so we're going to have we talk about oversaturation here in the scene and so we have right now we have Belo horizonte going on and then we have CSGO Asia Championships, whatever that is, and that's going on in a day. And you have Navi there with Envy, but they don't have Happy. And then in five days, we have DreamHack Summer with North, Godsend, AGO, Renegades, Gambit, Optics, some decent teams. So we don't really want to preview so far, but who do we think is going to win each of those? Uh, I think when uh, it comes to... Uh, the Asian Championships, I think Navi uh, is the obvious favorite. I think you're probably looking, I mean, NIP with the Lecro for Draken, Draken being moved to the bench is definitely an interesting change. So NIP sometimes has those honeymoon phases after a change where, where they play really well at the tournament. But I think this has to be Navi's tournament, right? I mean, even against, uh, I put NIP and Heroic as two of the biggest contenders for them, but even with that, looking at how strong Navi was on uh, Nuke, for example, in Kiev, that would be something that teams could have exploited against them because of the cash. We don't know that isn't really that big of an exploit. They, they proved to be super proficient on the map. I think unless they make some sort of a big blunder in the tournament and something goes terribly wrong, uh, seeing as how it's best of threes all the way, I, I think they... Uh, definitely should clinch that tournament. So besides that, what else do we have? Uh, Belo Horizonte, of course. That's a mess in itself. Uh, you have FaZe with a standing yet again. Mouse with a standing. You have teams like Big and Torqued, who this is like the first massive tournament for them. NTC. Uh, I, I think uh, Team Liquid is actually probably the number one favorite there even though i think they're going to have a a big uh, they're going to struggle against a team like sk or phase if they even against mouse sports uh, if they meet them in the playoffs it's not going to be a walk in the park like i expected to be for navi uh, at the shanghai tournament but i think team liquid is the best looking team at that tournament unless SK can put those pieces together and replicate the performance they actually had against Team Liquid in Kiev. If we see that SK, then I think they can take the whole thing. And looking at uh, DreamHack Summer, obviously DreamHack Open tournaments have become more of a Tier 2 tier tournaments for Tier 2, Tier 3 teams, which I also think is great. We see some of the, the teams that we don't get to see that often. And I think this is a very interesting tournament because of a number of reasons. You get to see North again after having 
uh, good showing in Kiev after some abysmal showings prior to that. AGO, same thing. I mean, they've, they're the best Polish team. Uh, at the moment, they had some really good games in Kiev, managed to make it into the playoffs in a tournament that has best of threes all the way. Godsend is also exciting to watch, which I didn't, didn't think I was going to say anytime soon. But I think with Nasu and actually having a stable five-man roster, Nasu as a coach, I think they've added some much-needed structure. I, I think that gives them a little bit more uh, consistency. And obviously, the individual talent is there. Uh, with uh, Brolan, he's 16 years old and he's been playing lights out. Guys like uh, Imperial with my boy Nexa on it, you know, Renegades who now don't have a coach and they seem to have struggled a lot on their T sides. In a way, every team that's in uh, DreamHack Summer is very interesting in a way. Gambit after the roster change will they finally find a way to make it work. Who's going to be the in-game leader at this tournament? Optic with a full Danish uh, lineup looked really good in. Um, it wasn't Austin. Uh, Pro League finals. Yeah, they they looked pretty good at Pro League finals, and then in Austin they they didn't look as strong where they had weaker opposition, arguably. And then you also have complexity, who you just don't get to see them that often. So, DreamHack Summer. Uh, is going to be a, a, a very, very good, very interesting tournament in that regard when it doesn't come to tier one teams. But I actually think the lineup that they have there, you know, I can't even tell you who's going to make it out of the groups there and uh, let alone who's going to win the whole thing. So very, it's going to be a very entertaining tournament to watch. That's for sure. I'm just happy we get to see, hopefully, the Optic versus Complexity matchup again because of all the memes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Or North versus Optic because of the whole Danish rivalry and uh, <laughs> domestic matchup in that sense. Oh yeah, that would definitely be a fun match. Domestic matchup seems so ridiculous to me. Sounds so ridiculous to me these days because when was the last time teams played exclusively in a league or a tournament that just had teams from their country? Even their region, like teams to be playing against all the teams in Europe for five years now. So I think it gets a bit exaggerated at, at times. I, I think mostly it has a level on some, you know, per, personal level between individual players, thinking that, you know, we are better than them individually. And then we want to prove that and really like beat them hard, prove that we are the best team in the country. I think like pride more than anything else. But you know, North and Optic, maybe that's a bad example because those two teams have formed recently, but let's say NIP and Fnatic, I feel like Fnatic has probably played more against Navi and Astralis in the last five years than they have against NIP, so we'll see. I think NA teams take that the, the, the most out there, the domestic rivalries and stuff like that. Yeah, I think for them it's. I think these days, these days we use it for. They play against each other a lot in, you know, NA, for example, because there's a lot of leagues, a lot of officials, and you only can practice against those teams many times. So you know them better, right? You know the individuals better. You know how they like to play clutches. You know how they like to play their positions. So in that sense, there's a bit more mind games going around because you meet those teams so often. You almost know how they play by heart. 
Yeah, for sure. I think a big issue, of course, like you said, is that you know the tendencies of teams. And a lot of teams said that before in the past, like, yeah, we know this team plays like energy versus liquid. So you're going to see like up, like uh, what you call them, like underdogs have better success against teams in the region, like a team liquid or cloud nine, break energy or uh, United when they beat liquid off online. So I guess that is a <clears throat> the weird thing about, I guess, domestic rivalries. But I guess we do see them playing like domestic leagues, like online, but never on land. So I guess, I mean, you'll have like the occasional tier two NA land, like I buy power or like a Fragadelphia, but that's not really relevant much anymore, I guess. But so, uh, you know, it's that's the issue with domestic rivalries are not as cool anymore. But we do when we do see them, they are pretty fun, I would think, especially because sometimes like some teammates play with each other. Snappy played with Valdi back on Heroic. So I guess there's that as well. But we have some questions we're going to ask and then we'll be ending the podcast for Yanko. And so the first question we have for you is, should more events like the V4 Future Sports Festival where smaller or lesser seen Counter-Strike teams, countries, get to play against a limited number of higher tier teams for a decent prize pool happen? Uh, definitely. I was at the, at the V4 tournament. I think it was actually a, a really well-run tournament. You know, they did the basics pretty well. They had that delay, I think, on day one. And besides that, everything else was... Uh, running smoothly. I think you don't even need to have such a massive prize pool for those teams, but you wouldn't get phased to attend it or probably mouse sports or VP if you didn't put such a high prize pool on the tournament. But it gave you a chance to see some of the guys uh, on, on some of those uh, teams um, that you don't see them that often or from countries that you don't see that often. But I remember you know, even watching, there was a team, uh, Dark Tigers. They had a guy called Beastick, and he was just having like a monster game. And that's someone who I would never see play. I mean, in the tournaments that I work on, right? So it's it's great to see some of those individuals who you can tell that if they can keep up playing at that level, they are definitely going to get picked up, but by maybe the best team in the region or someone like that can be the new Rops, right? The new guy that comes through FPL or whatever and gets picked up by an international team. So I think those tournaments are definitely great to give those teams some extra exposure. Also, there was, you know, good prize money even for teams that uh, didn't finish first or second. So it also gives you, you know, some steady income because in some of these regions, especially like Balkan region, you know, you can't make a living off of... uh, playing CS unless you're probably Valiance is maybe the only team and, and maybe like a team or two in Bulgaria, Hungary, something like that who can get salaries and, and sustain themselves solely from playing CS. So I definitely think tournaments are like that are great because they raise the local scene in terms in turn that gives you more players and it in turn that gives you you know a higher opportunity to get great players. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it definitely gives like a lot of opportunities, like different players. Uh, and the last question we have is from one of our writers, Pancakes. He says, uh, what was the funniest thing that has happened backstage slash in the green room for you? Ooh, well, that's probably the, the funniest thing. I, I can't say it on a podcast, but uh, <laughs> because those things, you know, that's our sacred space. But, you know, there there's a lot of funny things going on. Um... You know, people 
uh, I, I'm trying to think about what I can say. This is a tough one um, because of that, really. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we just have times because of the, the, the amount of travel that we have in a month of work, sometimes we just goof around uh, a bit in the green room, in the backstage, you know, we do some, you know, pull some pranks on uh, each other, some jokes, jokes uh, of, of those type. But in reality, it's like in the green room, the, the point of it is quiet space where you can watch the game in peace. So there's not really that much that's going on. Usually it's just some like joking around and having like comments like that it's nothing really too crazy but i can tell you it's definitely interesting when you have thorin and anders in the same room and they have <laughs> and they have some deep discussions about politics or space or something along those lines and it just keeps going on and on so that's definitely a peculiar thing that you can get to experience or you know three people playing arena of valor at the same time while others are trying to watch the game or I don't know. It, there's a lot of weird and ridiculous things that happen in, in green rooms and uh, backstage. I will tell you this. Ah, I finally found a way out for myself. <laughs> this happened at the after party at Dallas last year. and It wasn't really a party. It was just like at the pool of the hotel. It had an indoor slash outdoor pool. They've had like a buffet there and there was like a DJ for a little bit and something along those lines. And Blue, who wore his Yeezys, was picking up some uh, brisket and some ribs. And because like it was next to the pool, I don't know what he did, but he fell into the pool with a full <laughs> plate of food and it all just went all the way down. And the worst thing is I understand why he didn't just pick it up because he was already wet, Yeezy soaking wet, the phone dropping in and all of that stuff. So that was pretty hilarious. I remember I was just I was I was seeing it un, unfold live and, and that was a pretty hilarious moment. So if you can just cut me rambling about the green room and just like <laughs> for sure. No, I'm I'm kidding, but yeah, that was that was pretty hilarious. Oh, oh the Yeezy just oh, that's 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 crazy. Red blue, I mean I haven't seen him in a tournament in a while. He's a great caster, though. Yeah, maybe it's the maybe that moment ruined his career. We never know. Pretty sad. Yeah, over some uh, briskets. Oh man, briskets good though. It's really good, especially in yeah. Texas. Oh yes, Texas great brisket. Well, uh, that was uh, a good episode of the podcast. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, we'll be having. Another episode next week. We'll tell you who the guest is soon. Thank you, Yanko, for joining us today. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Shout out to everyone who's watching. Keep tuning in. Subscribe, follow, 